0: Chapter 3, part 5 of The American Language. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The American Language by H.L. Mencken. Chapter 3, The Period of Growth, part 5, Pronunciation. Noah Webster, as we saw in the last chapter, sneered at the broad A in 1789 as an Anglomaniac affectation. In the course of the next 25 years, however, he seems to have suffered a radical change of mind, for in the American Spelling Book, published in 1817, he ordained it in Ask, Last, Mass, Ant, Grant, Glass, and their analogues, And in his 1829 revision, he clung to this pronunciation beside adding master, pastor, amass, quaff, laugh, craft, etc., and even massive. There is some difficulty, however, in determining just what sound he proposed to give the A, for there are several A sounds that pass as broad, and the two main ones differ considerably. One appears in all, and may be called the A-W sound. The other is in art, and may be called the ah sound. A quarter of a century later, Richard Grant White distinguished between the two and denounced the former as a British peculiarity. Frank H. Visitelli, writing in 1917, still noted the difference particularly in such words as daunt, saunter, and laundry. It is probable that Webster, in most cases, intended to advocate the ah sound as in father, for this pronunciation now prevails in New England. Even there, however, the a often drops to a point midway between ah and ah, though never actually descending to the flat a -a," as in an, at, and anatomy. But the imprimatur of the Yankee Johnson was not potent enough to stay the course of nature, and, save in New England, the flat A swept the country. He himself allowed it in stamp and vase. His successor and rival, Lyman Cobb, decided for it in pass, draft, stamp, and dance. Though he kept to the ah sound in laugh, path, daunt, and saunter. By 1850, the flat A was dominant everywhere west of the Berkshires and south of New Haven, and had even got into such proper names as Lafayette and Nevada. Footnote Richard Mead Bach denounced it in Lafayette during the sixties. Vide his vulgarisms and other errors of speech, 2nd edition, Philadelphia, 1869, page 65. End footnote. Webster failed in a number of his other attempts to influence American pronunciation. His advocacy of "deaf" for deaf had popular support while he lived, and he dredged up authority for it out of Chaucer and Sir William Temple. But the present pronunciation gradually prevailed, though Deef remains familiar in the common speech. Joseph E. Worcester and other rival lexicographers stood against many of his pronunciations, and he took the field against them in the prefaces to the successive editions of his spelling books. Thus, in that to The Elementary Spelling Book, dated 1829, He denounced the affectation of inserting a Y sound before the U in such words as gradual and nature, with its compensatory change of D into a French J, and of T into C-H. The English lexicographer John Walker had argued for this affectation in 1791, but Webster's prestige, while he lived, remained so high in some quarters that he carried the day, and the older professors at Yale, it is said, continued to use nature down to 1839. He favored the pronunciation of either and neither as either and neither, and so did most of the English authorities of his time. The original pronunciation of the first syllable in England probably made it rhyme with bay, but the ee sound was firmly established by the end of the 18th century. Toward the middle of the following century, however, there arose a fashion of an A-I sound, and this affectation was borrowed by certain Americans. Gould, in the 50s, put the question, Why do you say either and neither to various Americans? The reply he got was, the words are so pronounced by the best-educated people in England. This imitation still prevails in the cities of the East. All of us, says Lounsbury, are privileged in these latter days frequently to witness painful struggles put forth to give to the first syllable of these words the sound of I by those who have been brought up to give it the sound of E. There is apparently an impression on the part of some, that such a pronunciation establishes on a firm foundation an otherwise doubtful social standing. But the vast majority of Americans continue to say either and not either. White and Visitelli, like Lounsbury, argue that they are quite correct in doing so. The use of either, says White, is no more than a copy of a second-rate British affectation. End of Chapter 3, Part 5 Recording by Linda Johnson